Hi, I'm Pam Stone and welcome to Natural Health Simplified, where we help you cut through the noise and provide simple science-based strategies to help you live a healthy life. We all know how it feels to have a cold and it can leave you feeling run down and wishing for some relief. And there's certainly no shortage of theories on how to deal with a cold, but it can be a challenge to separate fact from folklore. Today's guest is going to do just that, and so it's a great pleasure to again welcome Leslie Braun. Leslie is the director of Blackmore's Institute and a well-known best-selling author as well. Hello, Leslie. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Pam. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to some great myth-busting in this session. So can I start by (laughs) actually asking you, to begin with, what's the difference between a cold and the flu? Oh, look, great first question. I think so many people get confused between what is a cold and what is a flu and which one do I have, and I understand why. I think the key thing to keep in mind is that colds and flus are different. Firstly, they're actually caused by different viruses. So they're both viral infections, yes, but they're caused by different ones. Colds are very common and they're caused by any one of 200 viruses, which is probably one of the reasons why we haven't been able to have a vaccine against the common cold because there's so many different types of causes. Mm. Probably the easiest way to, to look at the difference between them is in terms of signs and symptoms. So a cold is an infection and it tends to affect your nose, your throat, your upper airways. And some of those common symptoms are going to include a blocked or a runny nose, sneezing and coughing, sometimes clearing your throat as well. And these are the really common symptoms of a cold. So it's not surprising that people often say they've got a head cold and that's because most of the symptoms are actually in the head. Mm. Now, the key difference with the flu is that it's not just your head that starts to have all of these similar symptoms, but it's actually your whole body. So you might also have the blocked or runny nose and a sore throat just like a cold, but you'll also be feeling muscle aches and pains, sometimes joint pains, headache, and often fever and fatigue. You know, you just feel wiped out and need to lie down, like someone's just zapped you of energy. Mm. Now, the important thing here is it is a lot more severe and more serious than the common cold. It's also far more contagious. And particularly, the people at risk are the elderly and people with a compromised immune function. So that's just two, I guess, simple ways to describe the difference between a cold and a flu, both caused by viruses, but mm-hmm. one's a lot more serious and severe than the other. One, like the cold, you tend to feel more in your head, and with the flu, you tend to feel it with your whole body. Mm, okay, now that's that makes it that makes it very clear. Now you actually, I noticed, mentioned fever as one of the key differentiators between a cold and the flu symptoms. What temperature are we actually looking at? What's actually considered to be a fever? A fever typically is 38 degrees Celsius or more. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen when you have a fever is, you know, you can have a headache, you might start to get muscle and body aches and pains as well. And it's really important that if you do have a fever, you've got to stay well hydrated and you should go seek some professional advice as well. But a lot of people don't realise that the normal body temperature can vary during the day between 36 and 37 degrees. Depends on what you're doing as well as the time of the day, and that's still considered normal. Now, also, some people do seem to get more colds than others, and children, they're in a category of their mm. own. <laughs> they, <Yep. Yes>. they <laughs> always seem to have a runny nose. What's considered actually to be a normal number of colds to get in a year? 
Uh, look, children can get between five and ten colds a year. Mm. And you can imagine if you're the parent of a child that's getting ten colds a year and you think about the fact that a cold can last up to ten days, that can mean that for some children, they're suffering with a cold up to 100 days in the year. It's huge. You know, not every child has that. Um, some children might only get you know, possibly three, four, even five colds a year. And for them, it may only last, you know, up to seven days. So there's a really big variation where you've got some children who might only suffer with a cold for, you know, maybe 30, 35 days a year and others up to 100. So it's quite a big range. But one thing we do know is children do get colds a lot more frequently than adults. Okay. Yes, that is a big range. I can see why parents with children who have the frequent colds are quite motivated to do something about about it. Do you have any quick tips to pass on to them? Yeah, sure. Look, there's five quick tips. And in fact, these five tips relate to pretty much everything when it comes to children's health. Number one is diet and nutrition. Number two is getting adequate sleep. Number three is physical exercise and activity. Number four is looking after stress because kids also do get stress and stress has a very negative impact on immune function. And the last one, number five, is hygiene. Okay. This is sounding like a big area. In fact, I'd love to dive deeper into this with you in a future podcast. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. We could spend a whole other podcast just talking about kids. Right. We'll do that. Thank you. (laughs) Now, moving on, I'd love to talk about allergies because allergy symptoms can also get confused with the common cold. And how can we tell the difference when it might be an allergy versus a cold? Again, you know, very easy to mistake a runny nose and a headache as the common cold when in fact it's an allergy. So what we're talking about are all of these things that tend to affect you mainly in the head. And one of the key things you need to think about and ask yourself is, have the symptoms come on suddenly? You tend to find that if you're getting an allergic response to something, the response comes through really quickly. You know, you may have just been exposed to some dust that you're allergic to or something else that's in the air. And very quickly, you start to notice you've got a runny nose. The mucus tends to be clear, clear and runny. Mm -hmm. You can get itchy skin, itchy, watery eyes, and even that tickle at the back of your throat where you just feel like you it's just irritated, scratchy throat, you know, mm. you might need to take a glass of water and it's still not going away. So those are the classic telltale signs of an allergy. And you don't tend to find you get that same level of discomfort or that rapid onset when it's a cold. Mm-hmm. Now, the symptoms of an allergy can continue for quite a long time because as long as you're exposed to that trigger, which we call an antigen, you're going to keep responding in the same way. So it's really important for people to identify what is that trigger that's starting this whole cascade of events happening for them and avoid that as much as possible. Mm. Now, one urban legend that's been around for a long time, which we've all heard of, is to starve a cold and feed a fever. Or or I could have it round the wrong way. (laughs) Or is it none of these? Can can you sort out that one for us? (laughs) I know. I hear that too. I don't know where that has come from. Um, Look, it's never right to starve anything, to be honest. Um, Starving is not the right answer. (laughs) Good. You've got to put fuel into your body and you absolutely have to make sure you stay hydrated. That's really important. So resting keeping well hydrated, um, you know, watching for a temperature if you have a fever, making sure you're getting onto that as well and just giving your body some time to rest and recover, really critical. 
Great. Glad we could bust that myth. (laughs) (laughs) Now, another time-honoured cold treatment is chicken soup. Does that Uh really work? Is there evidence for that? Oh, that is one of my favourites. I mean, how nice is that to have a nice bowl of chicken soup when you're feeling unwell? Mm. (laughs) Um, Look, it's also known as Jewish penicillin, and for good reason. There actually has been some science to show that some chicken soup can, in fact, help to fight colds. Um, There's even been a couple of studies showing how it can help to clear congestion in the nose, so it thins the mucus, you can just kind of get rid of it a lot easier. And it also seems to have a mild anti-inflammatory effect, which can help to ease symptoms. And I think it's really important to remember that with chicken soup, there's lots of other things in there as well. So a good chicken soup tends to be made with some onions, possibly even some garlic and some other vegetables that add flavour as well, as well as leaving some phytonutrients in the soup itself. So, um, look, you know, my mum makes a fantastic chicken soup and she's got doses sitting in her freezer and every week we go there and pick some up and when we're feeling unwell, we get extra doses of chicken soup and we love it. (laughs) I'm glad chicken soup got the tick. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now, Now, we've learned that adults can experience maybe two to four colds every year and for children, it's up to 10 times a year. So if we move on from that, what are some of the external factors that evidence shows can affect our susceptibility to catching a cold? One of the first things we need to recognise, and a lot of people don't always realise this, is that stress is a, has a really big impact on immune function. So stress levels, particularly if you've been feeling stressed for a long period of time, it actually causes the release of a hormone called cortisol and high cortisol levels have an immune suppressant effect. So we often think about stress in terms of mood and energy levels, but it also does affect your immune function. So, you know, making sure that we're very honest with ourselves, you know, thinking about how we're dealing with our stress, do we need to be doing more? You know, and dealing with stress could be as simple as keeping a journal where you're writing down your thoughts or having a good night's sleep doing some exercise, even just doing you know, a five or 10-minute meditation on a regular basis. All of these things can have a big impact, not just on stress, but also on your immune function as well. So that's a really important one. And I did mention sleep in there, and I did that on purpose. Sleep is also one of the best medicines, you know, hugely important to help you restore and strengthen the immune function as well. Just, you know, really to, I guess, rebalance your energy levels and restore in, in many different ways. And the thing that I really like about uh, sleep, as well as some of those, you know, everyday accessible stress management techniques, is they're free. Hmm. You don't need to have any special degree to know how to do them. You don't need any special educational training. Everyone can do this really easily. And they're really, really important and powerful. Leslie, I have to ask you this one. Can you catch a cold from going out in cold weather or getting caught in the rain or having wet hair? (laughs) (laughs) Can I say, I can personally relate to this one because I've got very curly hair and it takes over an hour to dry. And you can imagine in the morning when I used to go to school, you'd have a shower in the morning and, you know, I'd leave the house. Hair is wet, absolutely. You get on the school bus, it takes ages. My mum was constantly at me about this one. And look, I have to say, it's one of those ones I looked up when I was a lot younger because it it was in my ear all the time. <laughs> and look, honestly, a cold is caused by a virus. It's not caused by wet hair. It's not caused by a wet climate or being exposed to cold air. No. So this is a viral infection. But there are two reasons why winter is the cold and flu season. 
And one of the reasons why is you do find some people spend more time outdoors and they're in closer contact with other people. And it's close contact when somebody may cough or sneeze or splutter in your general direction where you're going to pass that on very quickly. The other thing about the flu virus is it stays airborne longer when the air is cold and less humid. So again, you know, if, if you're walking around and you're exposed to that, you know, you're more likely to catch catch a cold and flu. Another one to sort out is the role of exercise. We know exercise is good for us, of course, but does it help our immune system and does it keep our immune system healthy? Exercise is also really important, but it's like many things. You need the right dose of exercise. Too little is not enough. Too much can actually compromise us as well. So having that right amount of exercise is going to be really important from an immune system function perspective, but also it's just really good in terms of circulation as well as it can help to clear and drain the nasal passages as well, Um, can help with some coughing, you know, bringing up mucus from that perspective as well. Um, And and lastly, it's really good for stress management to help you sleep at the end of the day. So, you know, all good things can come from the right amount of exercise. And I suppose it does come down to listening to our body, doesn't it? And if we feel that exercise, we feel like exercising, then go with it. Okay, Pam, I'm going to be a little bit hard-nosed here because it's. I think a lot of people realise exercise is going to be good for them, but they don't feel like it. And so what I'd suggest is that even if you don't feel like it, it's important to put in place a regular exercise and, and to have a bit of self-discipline about it because it's very often the case that once you get out there and you start walking or you start swimming or whatever it is and your body loosens up, you get the circulation going, you actually do start to feel better. But you may not feel like that before you get started, but once you're into it, and certainly once you've finished, you do feel a lot better for it. And I often find it takes people about six weeks of regular exercise to start getting that um, endorphin hit where they start to feel they're really enjoying it and they're getting that extra energy boost from it all day long. So you've just got to push through that period to start getting you know, even better benefits down the track. Mm, very good. Even if we don't feel motivated, I hear what you're saying. Yes. I do hear <laughs> what you're right. saying. It's good for <laughs> very you. Good. Good. <laughs> Leslie, while we've got you, can we also get to the bottom of vitamin C? In other words, does it really help reduce the incidence of colds? Look, vitamin C is one of the most popular um, vitamins when it comes to colds and flus. One of the things we need to remember with vitamin C is the body doesn't store vitamin C for any great length of time. So every single day we need to make sure we have enough vitamin C. The other thing a lot of people don't realise is you can lose up to 100% of the vitamin C in your food through cooking because it's really sensitive to heat and light. And so people might think they're having a fantastically healthy diet, but in fact, what you put on your plate doesn't have the vitamin C in it that you thought you needed or you're getting. So in terms of prevention, generally the doses are around 200 milligrams a day just to keep your everyday vitamin C levels topped up. But during infections, you're going to need much higher doses because it's during infection that the body's really drawing on the nutritional stores in the body. And in fact, some of the research is showing that you need to use up to 2,000 milligrams a day. That's equivalent to two grams a day or more during an infection. Leslie, I think you've sorted out all of my questions. So, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So when you separate fact from myth, it really does come down, I think you're saying, to some basic steps to help our immune system function. Rest, hydration and a nutrient-dense diet are all important. And chicken soup can help too. 
So thank you again, Leslie. It's been really great chatting with you. Oh, thanks, Pam, for having me. You've been listening to Natural Health Simplified, powered by Blackmore's Institute. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. So please do get in touch at info at blackmoresinstitute.org. Tune in next time when we'll discuss ways to support children's immune system function. I'm Pam Stone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.